1: Today we're reading Ezra chapter 7 through 10. This is the new King James version of the podcast. The King James version is also available. In chapter 7, we're reading about Ezra who comes to town. Verse 1. Now, after these things in the region of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Seraia, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the month he began his journey from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord, and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you, and whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God which is in your hand, and whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, And whereas all the silver and gold that you find in all the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and the priest, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now therefore be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem." And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. Also, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers Who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to one hundred talents of silver, one hundred cores of wheat, one hundred baths of wine, one hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribed limit, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons?" Also we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethinim, or servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them." Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Well, this chapter begins with Ezra's ancestral link back to Aaron. This list of ancestors is abbreviated when compared to Ezra's list found in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 1-14. After these things here speaks of the completion and dedication of the temple in 515 B.C. Ezra rolls in, and he has a letter in his hand from the new king of Persia. Most Bible historians have concluded that this new king is Artaxerxes I, making the date of Ezra's arrival here around 457 B.C. This most commonly held view indicates a gap of almost 60 years between chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Ezra. Since Ezra is a scribe, he's well-versed in the law of Moses. He shows up to teach the people of Judah God's way after a 111-day trip from Babylon. While line of sight from Babylon to Jerusalem was only around 500 miles, the route back then was northwest along the Euphrates and then south to Jerusalem, which made about a 900-mile trip. Needless to say, that took much of the fun out of travel back then. We'll see in chapter 8 that there was a significant mass of people along with property that traveled with Ezra. With this letter from the king in chapter 7, Ezra is given significant authority and resources to do the job. We see that in verses 19 to 24. Notice verse 23. It says, Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Historians tell us that there was a rebellion brewing down in Egypt in 460 B.C., And the king was trying to appease the factions who might have influence over Israel at the time. This verse shows us that the king didn't want to make the God of Israel angry, so he rolls out the red carpet for Ezra and his countrymen. Oh, and here's another political move to get the Jewish leadership behind the Persian king's effort. In verse 24, make the religious leadership and temple servants, the Nethanims, tax-exempt. Well, that's the good clergy news. Then you have verse 26, which is the lawyer buster verse. It says, Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. So, in other words, if you don't like what Ezra's doing, well, you better like what Ezra's doing. Now, there are some prophetic implications in this chapter. This seventh year of Artaxerxes the king equates to 457 BC when this decree was issued to rebuild the temple. This is likely the beginning of the countdown to the Messiah as specified by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Go read the commentary on that chapter to understand the significance of the decree that was issued here. So, who are these folks who returned? We read the list, beginning in chapter 8 of Ezra, verse 1. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Atush, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Parash, Zechariah, and registered with him were one hundred and fifty males, of the sons of Pehoth-Moab, eliah the son of Zariah, and with him two hundred males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben-Jahaziel, and with him three hundred males. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him fifty males. Of the sons of Elam, Jesheah, the son of Athaliah, and with him seventy males. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him eighty males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him two hundred and eighteen males. Of the sons of Shelometh, Ben-Joshaphiah, and with him one hundred and sixty males. Of the sons of Bebi, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, with him twenty-eight males. Of the sons of Asgard, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphelet, Jeil, and Shemaim, and with them 60 males. Also of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabad, and with them 70 males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests, and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El El-Nathan, El-Nathan, Nathan, Jerub, El Nathan, Nathan, Zachariah, and Meshillem, leaders also for Joireb, and El Nathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man at the place Casaphiah that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Melai, the sons of Levi, the sons of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and brothers, 18 men. And Hashabiah and with him Jesheah of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. Also the Nethanim whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request to the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him." but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Now the most exciting part of the reading, genealogies. Well, these are the people who left Babylon with Ezra. They're listed here according to their ancestry. We'll need some certified Levites, and we have them in verses 15 through 20, Then for the fasting and prayer in verses 21 through 23, before Ezra and his large company actually head for Jerusalem. Why is that? Well, verse 22 explains, For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Ezra had declined to ask the king for protection, since the king had such great respect for the protecting hand of Ezra's God, and this fast just seemed like a good way to get right with God and call upon him to protect their journey before they leave, three days worth of fasting and prayer. In verses 24 through 36, we see that some guards are needed. Verse 24, And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priest, Sherebiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered, I weighed into their hands six hundred and fifty talents of silver, silver articles weighing one hundred talents, one hundred talents of gold, twenty gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, the articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jazebad, the son of Jeshua and Noadiah, the son of Binuai, with the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and twelve male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord." And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Well, tax-exempt back in 724, that's the good clergy news. Now here's the bad clergy news. The Levites were designated to carry the temple furnishings back to Jerusalem on this 900-mile journey. Who better to guard the temple possessions than the Levites, just like the old days? Ezra makes the appropriate appointments. Upon their arrival, they offer burnt offerings to express their thankfulness to God in allowing them to return to Jerusalem. We see in verse 36 that Ezra carried with him the commissions, the royal edicts, which are delivered to the government officials over the region. They're back in their land under the protective decree of the king of Persia. So they're protected from their enemies, but they're not governing themselves independently. They function more as a state within a union than a nation. Then we see in chapter 9 of Ezra, no more marriages to foreigners. Verse 1. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then every one who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord of my God. And I said, O oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers, to this day we have been very guilty, and for our iniquities we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. And now, for a little while, when grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, And to give us a peg in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage, for we were slaves. Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations which they have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. Now therefore do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us, so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant, as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Well, Ezra comes to a conclusion here. Never mind what our forefathers did, this marriage thing. I mean, marrying foreigners, it's got to stop. Then they read the laundry list of forbidden marriages. Now Deuteronomy 23:3 says an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. That of course was part of the law of Moses. Moreover we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 17 the following But you shall utterly destroy them the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Of course, Israel didn't drive them out of Canaan when they possessed it. Consequently, they were surrounded by these races of people. As a matter of fact, note these verses in Judges chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Those two verses say, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. But now, what about this bit of interest? David's great-grandma, Ruth, she was a Moabite. And then there was Solomon. He was a big-time violator. Notice what it says in First Kings chapter 11, verse 1. It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. One thing though, Egyptians didn't show up in any of those lists of forbidden marriages in the law. Deuteronomy 23:7 says, "You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother; you shall not abhor an Egyptian because you were an alien in his land." However, since Deuteronomy had been written, there had been a, quite a lot of negative history with both Egypt and Edom, and I guess the officials in Ezra chapter 9 verse 1 just went ahead and threw them in for good measure. It seems like a strange concern in verse 2 when the leaders of the returned exiles come to Ezra talking about the evils of intermarrying with the surrounding folks in such seemingly naive terms Here's what they say. So that the Holy Seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. And what about Ezra's reaction to this report in verse 3? So when I heard this thing, he says... I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Ouch! Plucking out your beard, that's got to hurt. But here's the point. They recognized the intent in the beginning for not intermarrying with the pagans was to prevent religious diversity. These foreigners bring their pagan religions with them when they come. So how long has the practice of marrying heathen women been going on? Well, there's your answer in verse 7. It says... Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. That verse is part of the prayer that Ezra prays publicly, beginning in verse 6, and that prayer extends to the end of this chapter. While they freely acknowledge that their forefathers failed to uphold the marriage policy established by God, these returning exiles mean business as they make every good-faith attempt to keep it from happening again. So they take the spirit of past commandments, the prevention of religious diversity. Then they lump in the Egyptians and seek to rectify what they view as a significant problem. Well, I don't think there's any question. They meant well to top off the new proposition in verses 6 through 15. Ezra prays an emotional prayer in earshot of everyone confessing sin in this matter. Hey, these people are serious about serving their one true God. They don't want to take any chances with compromise this time around. Incidentally, this marrying pagan women problem during this era also receives attention in Nehemiah chapter 13 and again in Malachi chapter 2 verses 10 through 17. In Ezra chapter 10, we see that some of these wives must go. Verse 1, Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children Gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehael, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them. "'according to the advice of my master "'and of those who tremble at the commandment "'of our God, and let it be done "'according to the law. "'Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. "'We also are with you. "'Be of good courage and do it.' "'Then Ezra arose and made the leaders "'of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel "'swear an oath that they would do "'according to this word. "'So they swore an oath. "'Then Ezra rose up from before the house "'of God and went into the chamber of Jehohanan, "'the son of Eliashib, And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity, that they must gather at Jerusalem, and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity." So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth of the month. And all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers, and do his will, separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives." Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside, nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand, and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of their cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshelam and Sabathai, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's households, were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter." By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. Well, are you a violator of the marriage policy or not? They set up a committee to examine the question of inappropriate marriages. It took several weeks to go through all the families of the exile, but they stuck with it until the task was finished. And why did they do this? Well, look at verse 4 of chapter 10. It says, Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of their cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. They felt that these men who had intermarried would result in the wrath of God upon them, in other words, a shortfall of rain, verse 13, And according to verse 17, the task of ridding these men of their foreign wives took about three months to accomplish. So in chapter 10, verses 18 to 44, we get a list of the violators. Verse 18, And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Jehozadok, and his brothers, Maaseah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah. And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. Also of the sons of Emer, Hanani, and Zebediah, of the sons of Haram, Maaseah, Elijah, Shemaim, Jehiel, and Uzziah, of the sons of Pasher, Eli-Oanai, Maasim, Ishmael, Nethanel, Jehazabad, and Elisha. Also the Levites, Jazabad, Shemai, Kileam, the same as Kelitam, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer. Also of the singers, Elishab, and of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri, And others of Israel, the sons of Perash, Ramiah, Josiah, Malchiah, Mejamin, Eleazar, Malchijah, and Benaiah. Of the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Daliah. Of the sons of Zatu, Elioni, Elishab, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zebad and Aziza, Of the sons of Bebai, Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athli, Of the sons of Benai, Meshulam, Malak, Adaiah, Jashub, Shial, and Ramoth, of the sons of Pahath-Moab, Adna, Kelal, Benaiah, Maaseah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Benuai, and Manasseh, of the sons of Haram, Eliezer, Ishajah, Malchijah, Shemaiah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Malach, Shemariah, of the sons of Hashem, Matani, Matatah, Zabad, Eliphelet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shemai, Of the sons of Bani, Maadai, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, Bedadiah, Kela, Vanayam, Meramoth, Eliashib, Mataniah, Matani, Jaasai, Benai, Binai, Shemai, Shelomiam, Nathan, Adaiah, Machnadebi, Shashai, Shari, Azarel, Shelemiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph, of the sons of Nebo, Jael, Mattathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jedai, Joel, and Benaiah. All these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Well, in this chapter, here's the list of violators. Isn't it interesting that their names are immortalized because they married heathen women? The problem doesn't actually get solved here, though. In Nehemiah, we see that this problem of intermarrying with the surrounding natives kept recurring. With the help of the numbers found in Nehemiah chapter 7 of the total returning exiles, I provided a little table to show the extent of the intermarriage problem not really feasible to read it to you on the podcast, but take a look at that, and you'll see the uh, numbers, the total number of 28,774 from Nehemiah. Uh, those intermarried from Ezra chapter 10 totaled uh, 111, and that leaves a percentage of 0.4% of, of uh, marriages that they considered illegal. As it turns out, there were not that many mixed families to begin with, but none after the three months. I wonder what kind of severance package those women received. We see in verse 44 that some had children by these wives as well. According to verse 3, those women retained custody of their children. But let it be noted, this was a man-made solution to a man-made problem.
0: This concludes our podcast for today.